A sower went out to sow his seed. Many of us know this story, don't we? At least those of us who grew up in a, in a Christian setting of some sort. If you haven't, perhaps this is, this is new for you. But this is one of Jesus' best-known parables. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he goes scattering them around, some fall on the path and get trampled on and eaten up by the birds. Some fall on rocky places and started sprouting, but then dry out because the roots don't manage to gather enough moisture and dry out. Some seed falls among thorns, which grow up alongside it and eventually choke the plants. And some falls on good, fertile soil and yielded a crop, gave fruit, lots of fruit. So goes the parable that many of us know. And St. Luke, who tells us the story in, in his account of the ministry life and death of Jesus, he goes on, as he tells the story, he goes on with the disciples asking Jesus what the parable means, right? Jesus, what is this all about? What is this all about? To which Jesus answers, and I want to open in the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 8. And I'm going to read just from verses 11 to, to 15. Where Jesus says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but that as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. It's a well-known well parable and a, a well-known explanation. Right? So well-known indeed that in Norway it has actually received its own very Sunday. Today is Sermons Sondag, uh, the Sunday of the Sower, translated literally. And I, I confess that I haven't really quite done my, my research to find out if this is a thing outside of Scandinavia and, and the rest of, or outside of Norway and the rest of Scandinavia or the rest of the world. I, I don't really know. But in Norway, in any case, this Sunday has come to be known as the Sunday of the sower. And on this Sunday, churches all over the country will very likely have read this same parable. I say have because most of them met in the morning, right? Uh, will have read this same parable. And many will also have talked about the Bible. Right? Not just from the Bible, but about the Bible. 
because it has also become a tradition to make the Bible itself a theme on Soman Sunday, on the Sunday of the sower. And the reasoning and connection is fairly simple there, right? It's uh, especially when we read the parable alongside its explanation in the Gospel of Luke. So the seed is the word of God. So we speak about the words, right? Through which so many of us have come to know and explore the story and the meaning of God and God's redemptive acts in history. The words gathered in the Bible. So the connection is there. But there's always a risk, I think. A risk that we get lost in this sort of this metaphor of a metaphor, right? And that we end up, I don't know, throwing Bibles by the way or on the rocky sides or on farmland or something like that, right? And I'm being ridiculous, of course. Nobody's, I hope nobody's doing that. But satire often sheds light on something. So to bring it into the context of the Bible itself and to, to state the obvious that sort of can get lost in the process, I will say it this way. When Jesus says, right, Jesus walking around Galilee, the first half of the first century, says the seed is the word of God, when Jesus says that, no such thing as a Bible exists yet, right? No such thing as a Bible exists yet. So even if we believe that the Bible can convey something of this word of God that the parable speaks of as a seed, we still would be wise to ask what this seed and word might mean in the context, in this Sort of this, as, as I've been describing it lately, this landscape of metaphors and parables that are coming from the mouth and the ministry of Jesus and coming in the context of the different gospel writers. And we've been spending a lot of time with John, right? Because this is not the only place and this is not the only parable where Jesus speaks of seeds and crops and plants, Actually, uh, these agricultural images, they are plenty and they abound in the parables of Jesus, right? The kingdom of God is a mustard seed, he says somewhere else. Right? I am the vine, we talked not long ago. But I would like today to visit some words that John, the gospel writer, recalls from the mouth of Jesus. And I want to go there because Jesus there says something about the seed, and also because John, the gospel writer, has much to say about the word, which are these images, these things that we're talking about here on this Sunday of the sower. And this story, it takes place towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And it takes place in a series of speeches and events that are leading specifically to Jesus' death and resurrection. And I want to read from the gospel according to St. John, chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 20, where John tells us, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival in Jerusalem. They came to Philip, 
who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. We can stop there. Placed as John has placed this story in the context of Jesus preparing his disciples for his death. In the context of the gospel of John, this is Jesus gathering his disciples and preparing them. And there's a series of speeches towards the end of the gospel of John, right? So placed as John does it, over there, it shouldn't be difficult for us to get what Jesus is referring to when he says that the kernel of wheat, right, this wheat seed, must fall to the ground and die to produce fruit. Yet John makes sure that we get it by anchoring this story and this saying of Jesus even further in this reference that he makes to the hour, right? The hour has come, Jesus starts. And those of you who were here last week may remember that in the gospel, according to St. John, this expression, the hour, comes throughout and it is a sort of a theological and thematic handle to refer to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So whenever you're reading the gospel of John and you get this expression, the hour, pay attention. There's something there that has to do with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is the seed. The kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies so that it can multiply, right? Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection, is the seed that produces much fruit and produces many seeds. And what is more, in the gospel of John, Jesus is not only the seed. In the gospel of John, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. That is how John describes Jesus' very coming into the world. Right? This is John's story of the birth of Jesus. John's nativity scene is the poetry of, of Genesis revisited with Christ and John saying the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's how he starts chapter 1. The word became flesh. The word was in the beginning, was with the Father. The word became flesh and made his dwelling with us. Jesus is the seed. Jesus is the word. 
And we could perhaps stop here, right? The sower goes out to sow his seed. Jesus himself is the seed, Jesus in his death and resurrection. Okay, got it. That's the message, right? But I want to challenge us further. Because still we might be settling for something less, something even other. Still we might be settling for the message about Christ. The message about Christ's death and resurrection. But it isn't the message about Christ that dies and lives again and bears a crop. It is Christ himself. It isn't a notion about Christ that dies and lives again. It is Christ himself. And this is not easy to grasp, I know. So I want to welcome our confusion into the confusion of someone else. Someone else dealing with these questions of death and life. I want to welcome our confusion into the sorrow and the confusion of Martha. Martha, sister of Lazarus. Lazarus, Martha's sister who lies dead in a tomb. And this story is just a bit before in the Gospel of John. It's in chapter 11, from verses 17 to 27, I'm going to read. And Jesus had been told, Lazarus is sick. Jesus who healed the sick, right? Lazarus is sick. But Jesus hangs on doing what he's going to do. And by the time he goes there, Lazarus is dead, long dead. He's been laying in the tomb for a couple of days. And Martha goes to meet Jesus. And here we read from verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard uh, that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. That's Martha's sister. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. 
I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. I am the resurrection and the life. Your brother will live again. I know he will. When the resurrection happens, I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. And he speaks of dying and living again and not dying at all. And if you, if you read those words, it's what's going on, Jesus. Do we die? Do we not die? What's going on? But I am the resurrection and the life. And confused as we might be with how Jesus seems little concerned with how all of this works, we are still drawn into this remarkable statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is in a way challenging Martha's expectations and her fears with his very presence. Martha doesn't even know quite what to ask. You know? And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. You believe that I am the resurrection and the life, Martha? Well, I am here. I'm here, here now. I'm not only then and there, I am here now. Do you believe this? It's a remarkable statement and it is a remarkable question and it is a remarkable invitation. Do you believe that Christ is present? Well then, life and resurrection are present here and now. And what does that even mean? How does that shape our faith and our lives here and now? Not just our conceptualizations about what was and what is to come, but our life here and now. Not just our notion of some possible future, but our living of a possible present. There is a, a voice in the Gospel of John and in the Gospels that calls us for hoping, not for not only hoping for resurrection, right? But living the reality of resurrection. Living the reality of a living Christ. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because resurrection is good news and it is relevant where death is present. Isn't that when we ask for life? When death is present. 
And death is present today, isn't it? Death was present in the house of Martha and Mary. My brother is dead. If you were here, he wouldn't be. I am here, Martha. <laughs> and Lazarus is raised from the dead, true. He comes out from the tomb at the call of Jesus. And he goes out right into the reality of death again. Right? He's hardly out of the tomb and he's already, there's already people planning to kill him. Because his rising from the tomb caused a steer in Jerusalem, and some people aren't happy about that, right? He's hardly risen from the tomb. He's still in a reality of poverty and death and religious persecution under the empire, all of those stuff. But he emerges from the tomb to the voice of Jesus and meets Jesus. Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. How is that shaped? What does that mean? I want to go back to the parable of the sower. If we allow ourselves to get a bit catched up in, these, in this landscape of all these parables and how they talk to each other. The sower went and sowed the seed. Christ is the seed. How does that change the way we deal with the parable and the way we deal with the realities that the parable points to? Well, if Jesus is the seed and Jesus is the death and life, right? The, re the resurrection and the life. Well, then this seed being cast all over the place is not just a message about Christ. It's not just a notion about Christ. It is Christ himself giving himself in self-sacrificial, present, living in the realities of death all around. In the rocky soil, on the busyness of life that chokes us up in the lack of nurturing or in the times of plenty. Christ giving himself into all those kinds of soil unreservedly. This Christ who is the sower and is the seed. And he keeps on doing that, right? A couple of weeks ago we were talking about him being the lamb and the shepherd. This is something else than speaking the message of Christ into all sorts of setting. This is living the Christ life in all sorts of setting, in sacrificial fruit, bearing life. And what does that mean? Well, something I think we sometimes we can slip by the side, you know, when we read the parable of the sower, is that the whole point of the parable is not if the ground receives or doesn't receive the seed. The question is fruitfulness. Is there fruit being brought forth, right? 
And what is fruitfulness in the context of the life of Christ and of the Gospels? Well, Jesus goes from this statement of, from this uh, conversation about the seed that falls to the ground, right? Resurrects and, and bears fruit. From there, just a couple of paragraphs later, he's coming to his disciples, he's removing his tunic, he's wrapping a towel around his waist, he's kneeling down on the ground, and he's washing their feet. He's breaking bread, if we inhabit the other Gospels as well. (laughs) He's breaking bread. He's giving it to his disciples. He's saying, I am. This is the body. This is the blood. Down on his knees. Do as I am doing. What would it... What can our faith, what would, what can, what can our faith look like? What can our life look like? If we understand our presence in the world, our way of living in service, generosity, kindness, transformation, and grace as expressions of the resurrected life and the resurrected Christ. If we believing that we live in Christ and Christ in us, believe that resurrection can take shape today as we meet the realities of death in our life and in the lives around us. If Jesus himself dares to speak about being life and resurrection in the context of this Lazarus who dies and comes back to a world full of troubles, but is still saying, here, this now, I am the life and the resurrection, what does that mean for us? If we take a a story like the parable of the sower and make it not only about what we say or whatever statements of faith we put on our websites or whatever it might be, but to be about how we hope in, have embodied hope of the resurrection and how we live, how we meet each other, how we deal with our own brokenness. I am the resurrection and the life. And we believe that Christ is. That he is now, today. And maybe sometimes we get lost in the mechanics of afterlife or however we want to call it. And Jesus does these things where he's like jumping around these times and we're not sure where he's going with that, but then he lands where we actually are and says all these things, you know, they're there. I'm there, but I'm here. What does it mean to live the resurrection? Now. Because... We may not be dead, but death is here, isn't it? It's all around us. 
It's in Ukraine, and it's in the beggars in our street, and it's in the people suffering in our neighborhood, and it's in our anguish with our own pains and fears, and it is in our lacks of kindness that slowly kill the soul of others. It is in all those things. I think it's hard work, but wonderful that we have a faith that actually dares to touch that if we let it. And that means we keep on asking and we keep on trying. That means we don't just say, that's what it will be. We say, what does it look like now? When we go through this cycle of epiphany, as we have called it, right? This season again of talking about how God reveals himself in Christ and Christ reveals God. We go through it again and again, right? Every year, the church, that's the whole thing that we're thinking about with this church calendar thing, is that we, we, we repeat these things. Why do we repeat them? Because we need to ask again. It needs to not be solved. It needs to be lived again and again and again. It's a almost heart-wrenching conversation, isn't it? Jesus, our brother died. He could, he wouldn't have if you were here. Right? Well, I am here. And we know what Lazarus raises up into, right? We know the world. But there's something about coming out of that tomb, out into all the stuff we still deal with 2,000 years later, but being met by the voice of Jesus and believing and knowing that there's possibilities of life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you and may he bring you peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the Lord, serve the world, serve each other joyfully. Amen.